night and good afternoon. I hope you guys have been having a fantastic week. I know I have. I'm super excited because sadly this is going to be the last episode for the next two weeks because I'm going on vacation. So you know I'm definitely excited about that. Anyway, we got some very interesting comic and nerd news for you. So let's go ahead and get started with that today. Now, let's go ahead and begin like we always do about comics. Now, in the world of Marvel... We have actually been getting a new Punisher series, and issue one was released about, let's see, today's the 26th, about four days ago, and it's very interesting. It's called Punisher War Journal, issue one, Blitz, and honestly, it's interesting because now you have Frank Castle in charge of the hand, and he is actually going after somebody who has been on his kill list for a long time but hasn't been able to actually catch him until now. Now, this somebody is somebody who goes by the name Hatemonger. And with the help of the hand, it seems like it's going to be crazy. Honestly, I really like Punisher, and the fact that they're giving him an army makes for some very interesting interactions and sequences. And it's going to be interesting to see how far he's going to take the hand. And especially with the upcoming events going to be him versus Daredevil and Elektra, the, just the dynamic alone, it's going to be awesome. Because if you look at the history between Daredevil and Punisher, they have never really met eye to eye and have teamed up on some occasions, but reluctantly. And with Daredevil and Elektra going after the hand and wanting to shut them down... Will they understand where Punisher is coming from, changing the hand entirely, or will they go out on an all-out battle? Because, like always, Daredevil doesn't agree with Punisher's way of doing stuff. And it's going to be interesting. Honestly, I can't wait for it, and I can't wait to see how the other heroes will get involved. Of course, it's mostly going to be street heroes like Captain America, maybe some Winter Soldier, Spider-Man, Iron Fist, Luke Cage... But honestly, with the history a lot of these characters have together, it's going to make for some fun comic book reading. And I hope the writing is consistently great. Because honestly, the last Daredevil run was fantastic. Especially with the ending of Matt Murdock deciding to go, not Punisher, Daredevil full time. Again, that is something to look forward to. Anyway, moving on. Now... I want to talk to you about the new Amazing Spider-Man issues. And I know I've been hammering about them for being lazy, throwing Spider-Man down, and just trying to ruin what the last run did, and not even telling us what Spider-Man did to out, like outline himself against the Avengers, Fantastic Four, Aunt May, or even what he did to make Mary Jane break up with him. Honestly... Yes, while that is true, and I still think that's really lazy and it ticks me off that all that writing went down the garbage, I have to give credit when credit is due. And this recent issue of Amazing Spider-Man issue number four was really good. Oh my god, was that issue fantastic. (laughs) It brought a smile to my face. It just, wow. And I'm going to talk about it right now. So, last, like I told you before, Tombstone had captured Spider-Man and basically left him for dead. 
And this comic starts where that left off, with Spider-Man seemingly going to be killed by one of the goons. And with Tombstone basically bonding him or handcuffing him with adamantium binds, he ain't escaping. Spider-Man is strong, but not strong enough to escape adamantium binds. Heck, Wolverine at times isn't able to escape those. Anyway, another goon that he had saved before, Spider-Man, tells them that Tombstone only wanted to scare him and that they'd be going to war with the fake Rose by, not fake Rose, they'd basically be dressing up as Rose, who is Richard Fisk, and killing a bunch of innocents in Harlem to get the superhero community involved and get them to shut down Richard Fisk, who Tombstone is fighting for in this gang war. Now, Spider-Man escapes. He ends up, after they set him free, he leaves and tries to go to the warehouse. And given he's in the subway, so he follows them, escapes up the stairs, and he sees the goons and starts to go to town. Now, the art in this thing is fantastic. I mean, my God. You can feel every punch. You can feel the brutality. I mean, Spider-Man is pushed to his limit after being beat down by Tombstone and then having to fight at least 30 goons. The fight is nuts, and during the fight, he runs out of web fluid. So he takes out the lights and Batman-style attacks the attackers and just rips them to shreds. Of course, not killing them, but still. And during this issue, while this is all happening, Tombstone kidnaps, kidnaps, wow, I cannot speak today, Robbie Robinson, and if you watch the uh, animated Spider-Man series, he's the guy who's always helping Peter at the Daily Bugle, and basically the right hand of J. Jonah Jameson. After he captures him, he has a talk with him about Robbie's son chasing Tombstone's daughter and wanting to marry her. And, of course, Robbie and Tombstone's friendship, if you want to call that a relationship, hasn't been the best. Now, I'm not going to go into very much details because it changes depending on the writer and the history. But if you watched um, uh, Spider-Man, the animated series, you'll get a good idea of what the relationship. Honestly, you can YouTube it. It's a great series. It came out in the 90s. And if you haven't had the chance to take a look, definitely would recommend it. Anyway, Spider-Man gets to the fake Rose, dodges his bullets point blank, punches him knocks him out and unmasks him. And when he unmasks him, he realizes that he's been tricked, that this isn't the fake Rose at all. It's revealed to be the real one, Richard Fisk. And when he looks out the window, he realizes he's not in Harlem and he's actually at the Rose's base. And it dawns on him that he's been tricked that tombstone tricks spider-man into basically winning the war for him and i gotta say zeb wells did a fantastic job with the foreshadowing and the writing here and it kind of makes sense because if you and what i mean about the foreshadowing if you look back at the previous issue Tombstone got mad at one of his goons for almost revealing what train was coming in the last issue, which now makes sense because if he would have revealed what train was coming, then Spider-Man would have known he wasn't under Harlem. 
Now, for those of you who aren't New Yorkers, New Yorkers basically have a memorized list of the trains on where they go, especially living there for years. You know, the seven train goes through Queens, goes through Manhattan, and may stop somebody else, but it's consistent every time. They don't switch it, and if they do, it's on very rare occasions. So, Spider-Man, being a New Yorker, would have known that, hey, he's not in Harlem, and would have figured something out. Maybe not the entirety of the plan, but would have figured out that something was up. And the one thing I loved about this was the fact that Tombstone was written here as cunning, calculated, and basically a strategist. And he hasn't been written like that in a long time. And going back to uh, his conversation with Robbie, he basically wanted just to tell Robbie the good news that their kids were going to be married in person. And it's so funny because Robbie's like, can you please use a phone next time? Because with Tombstone, you think that, oh my God, he's going to be killed. But honestly, he uh, when his daughter comes in asking him not to kill Robbie or his son, he laughs it off and asks if he's going to war. And he said, no, he's going to leave uh, the rose to the proper authorities because he took care of it. And it's awesome. You know what it kind of reminds me of? If you guys have seen that Invincible episode where Invincible and the Globes of Justice or whatever the heck they call their team basically takes out the gang leader or tries to and his goons and at the end of the episode the dude who asked for help takes over as the new gang leader. That's basically what it felt like and it was great. I'm hoping that this consistent writing continues because I, I'll i give, like I said, I'll give credit when credit is due. But I'm still not liking this run so far. Especially with what's going on with Mary Jane and the stuff, the mystery surrounding everything. But if it's a great payoff like it is here, then I'll admit it to be like, oh my god, I didn't see it coming. Zeb Wells is a genius, but for right now, he's a dummy. But anyway, that's it for me for the whole Marvel uh, skit. So moving on to DC. Now, DC and Dark Crisis, that's the event that's happening. And what I told you before about the Justice League dying and all that stuff. Now, I told you before that the all the Flash families basically said, hey, we're not going to help. We're doing our own thing. So with Flash issue number 783... Yes, I, I, I said that number correctly. 783. My God, it's going on for a long time. Anyway, Wally West and the rest of the Flash family have a mission. They need to find Barry Allen. And for those of you who don't know, Barry Allen joined the Multiverse Justice League and left the mantle of the Flash to his former ward, Wally West. Now, with the Justice League dead, they need the OG Flash. And before anyone argues with me, I get it that Jay is the OG Flash, but for me, Barry is. So, moving on, they basically need to find him, and they are going to explore the multiverse looking for him. Now, I'll say this about the comic. The comic is very interesting because they explore the dynamic of the Flash family and what Barry means to them. And there are some interesting twists and turns and kind of a lazy one. But anyway, in the comic, they're basically with Mr. Terrific open up a portal to the multiverse. And (laughs) 
Wally's kids who are basically part-time superheroes. They're like, I don't know, nine, ten, decide that they want to help improve themselves as heroes. So the girl, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, they're twins, boy and girl. So the girl takes one of the watches that they're going to use to bring them back to the universe and grabs her brother and runs into the portal to the dismay of everybody. Jay goes after them and the rest of the family go off trying to search for them and Barry. And they land into another world where I honestly, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh God, why? Why? They land in a Batman Gotham-esque world where Batman is the Flash. Yeah. How original. And it's funny because it's like, didn't we get tired of the whole, oh my God, each uh, different universe version of the Justice League is a Batman variant from Dark Metal. But anyway, um, it doesn't show what happens next, just that there's like a Bat figure with the Flash symbol behind them, and the other Flashes find themselves in different worlds. Honestly, I'll give the comic a 7 out of 10 for the storytelling, but not too happy with another Batman version of The Flash. Because, come on, DC, you can do better. Anyway, moving on, I'm going to be talking about another Flash-centric story. This time, it's a team-up with Aquaman. Now, this is a separate story, not tied to the previous one at all. Probably going to be like something that happened before. But it's interesting because in this comic, he teams up with Aquaman. And it's interesting because they're, they've are they never really interacted outside the Justice League. And rarely, if any time, has ever had a team up with just them. And I'm actually got to say that this was an interesting comic. The conversations were interesting. The exchanges were funny. And both of them gave respect to each other and a new sense of respect. Because it's like being on a team... You're, of course, you're talking to your other teammates, but if you have somebody you usually team up with or hang out with, but all of a sudden you're now hanging out with the other dude you don't hang out with that maybe you talk sometimes on a team, it can be awkward. And it's kind of great how they write it in this way. Anyway, I'll give the comic about another 7 out of 10. DC is sort of impressing me, but we'll see where it goes, especially with the next issue of Dark Crisis. And hopefully we get to see whether or not, I don't know, uh, Beast Boy lives. Anyway, we're going to move on from comics and talk about TV shows. Specifically, Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 2. And I am super excited about this show. Super excited for the other half. Oh my god, four hours? Four hours! That's how long these next two episodes are going to be combined. And I can't wait to see who lives and dies because the creators of the show said there's going to be some main character deaths and a big death toll, which is going to be scary and exciting at the same time. Now, with this happening, I want to mention who I think is going to die from the main character list. And I know you might disagree with me, and that's fine. I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but for me... The people who I think are going to bite the dust is Nancy Wheeler, Will, and Lucas, or Jonathan. Now, I say Nancy because it would make for an interesting twist for her to die, especially since she has two love interests, Jonathan and, um, 
Wow, I'm blanking out on the guy's name. Okay, two love interests. Anyway, as she can't seem to decide who she wants to be with, her dying can be an interesting twist. And for season five, seeing how both of the characters cope with the loss of their loved one. Okay, and like I said, it will it be cliched? Maybe. I don't know. I don't even know if that would be a cliche, but it would make for some interesting interaction since both of, it would send both of them into a deep depression. Especially with them arguing who she loved really, who she, she would have chosen. Anyway, the other person I said was Lucas. And the fact why I say Lucas is going to die because in the trailer, he will be fighting his former basketball team. Ever since they went all Westboro Baptists and are like, we're going to kill everybody or something like that. Honestly, it was kind of interesting because they went the whole Stephen King route with the like the crazy Bible persons. Anyway, it wouldn't be far fetched for Vecna to take the chance to kill him during the exchange, especially since he was one of the reasons why Max was able to escape Or they may kill Max or even his sister during the commotion. Who knows? It might actually be interesting if Vecna kills his sister while he's defending everybody against the basketball people. That would actually suck, but it would be fantastic writing. Yes, I'm a monster. Sue me. Anyway, another person I say who might buy the dust is Will or Jonathan. Just because with this season... They really haven't brought anything to the table. They've been basically background characters. And I mean, if they get killed, I would be like, oh, no. But since they really haven't done anything, it's been kind of like, eh. But anyway, if I'm right, you heard it here first. Hopefully I'm not right. Hopefully none of the main characters are going to die, which is kind of unbelievable. But if they do die and these are the people that have died... You heard it here. I was right. Ha. Oh, God, I'm going to be depressed. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to be very sad. Anyway, moving on. We're going to be talking about The Umbrella Academy Season 3, which aired on Wednesday. Now, I haven't watched it yet. And you're like, why haven't you watched it? I had a lot to do this week, so... I'll be watching it while I'm on vacation. It'll give me something to watch and I'll be able to watch everything in its entirety. But anyway, I honestly can't wait to see the show. And with Obi-Wan ended, I'll have time. And it's going to, since this is really the only other show besides, of course, the boys, but since Umbrella Academy has come out and it's Netflix, so they give you everything, I'll mostly be watching it on the plane and I can't wait to do that. And from what I heard from Umbrella Academy, it's super fun and a wild ride, and I can't wait to take the journey. Anyway, speaking of Obi-Wan, we're going to be talking about episode 5 and 6. And both episodes were amazing. They were incredible. And I can't believe it's over. I really can't. Now, this is going to be spoilers, so just give me all a heads up. Now, revealing that Reva was a youngling was kind of predictable. Honestly, I called it like episode two or three because of how the others were treating her, what they said to her. I'm like, okay, she might be a youngling. And honestly, even with that reveal, I still think she's a bland character. 
And it's just, I don't know. I just really didn't like her. I, I know a bunch of others feel the same. Some others may argue that she was one of the better characters, but nah, she was definitely one of the weaker points in this show. Anyway, the one thing I did love about this show was Vader. And Vader wanted to break Obi-Wan and didn't care for anything else. He just saw like a tunnel vision. And using the small droid to mess things up was really smart. Which led, of course, to the battle between the Rebels and the Stormtroopers, which was really intense at times. And when one of the um, troopers hit Tala, I was like, no! Oh my god. And with the robot protecting her and she realizing she's not going to make it and she just decided to sacrifice herself. Oh my god, that was that was kind of cool. Anyway, after that, Obi-Wan convinced Reva to allow them to escape so she can face off against Vader, who just dominates the screen every time he's there. I mean, honestly, I have not been disappointed with Vader's presence at all. Anyway, one of my favorite parts with Vader being there and Reva telling him that, oh yeah, Obi-Wan's there, is when he walks in and the ship tries to escape... He just pulls a star killer and just rips that ship down to the ground and just rips it apart trying to get to him. And then he's caught off guard with the other ship jumping out and escaping. Wow, that was a great scene. I mean, I get people are like, wait, why didn't he do it to the other ship? And I'm like, well, the force is kind of uh, pointed to making sure you're concentrating while using it. Him getting caught off guard might have surprised him and not given him enough time to compose himself. Which wouldn't make sense. I mean, honestly, if you destroyed a ship, you like saying, wait, where's everybody? And the other ship just flies off. You'd be like, oh, dang, I made a mistake. Anyway, that isn't the end. I loved how Reva gave it all she got while trying to sneak attack him. And Vader's like, nope. Madman used the force and played with her. She was just going wild with the lightsaber and he barely tried. It was just fantastic and was just playing games. And honestly, that's how it should have went in The Force Awakens. Like with Rey versus Kylo Ren. Rey isn't experienced in sword fighting. Kylo Ren is... Why the heck did she win against him? Anyway, that's okay. Moving back, moving back. Honestly, if I go on a rant about the sequel trilogies, I'm going to be here forever. Especially The Last Jedi. Such wasted... Okay, never mind. Going back, going back. Anyway, Vader stabs her in the stomach. And Vader reveals that the Grand Inquisitor that we all thought Reva had killed, except me, was alive. And it was actually kind of cool. Just his mannerism alone was awesome. Just he's saying, hello. <laughs> it was a great, honestly, reveal. And like I said, I knew about it. Anyone who watched Rebels knew that he wasn't dead. Anyway, after this, it gets even better. In the next episode, episode six, Obi-Wan knows what he has to do. He has to face Vader. And that fight, that entire battle, was emotional from beginning to end. The music could have been a little more intense, 
but it did reflect the mood. And Obi-Wan using his surroundings to throw Vader off with his style was pretty good. Because when it comes to Vader, he's more of a power fighter. Uh, Obi-Wan using the surroundings to kind of throw Vader off and kind of shorten his blows was kind of cool. And just shows how much of a master Obi-Wan actually is. And when Vader made the ground shatter with the force and piled rocks on top of Obi-Wan, I was kind of surprised. But when Obi-Wan threw them off and started using the force to dominate Vader, oh my god, was that cool. Especially since he was using an offensive form of combat. Well, Vader was just tanking all these rocks. I mean, dude was swinging harder, dude was throwing rocks, and when Obi-Wan like hit him with his faceplate revealing half his actual face that is when the pure emotion started coming out because you see Anakin and Obi-Wan for the first time looking at each other actually looking at each other and when Obi-Wan started to apologize and Anakin saying that he did not fail Anakin that it wasn't his fault that Ob- that Anakin was not Obi-Wan's failure it kind of brought peace to him since it was closure, since Anakin did not blame Obi-Wan. But when he mentioned that Vader, that, what was his words? You did not kill Anakin. I did. It was pretty intense because it kind of brings back that scene from New Hope. A Vader was the one who killed your father because he states it right there. And Obi-Wan was like, Goodbye, Vader, calling him Darth Vader to his face for the first time instead of Anakin. And one thing I loved about this entire scene was that his voice box combined both Hayden and James Earl Jones. And it was just so intense and emotional having both of these voices come out because you realize that it's just it's both Anakin and Vader talking. And it's kind of sad. It really is sad. But the final battle, it it's great. And it kind of goes along with, I have grown stronger since the last time we fought. It kind of puts new meaning to that. But anyway, after uh, the Obi-Wan fight leaves you like shook, the other half of the episode continues. Yay! Where Reva not only survived being stabbed, but found a ship somewhere and rode across the galaxy after figuring out from a leftover recorder that was given to Obi-Wan where he's like, oh my god, you have to go the children, hope they're safe, I'm going to go to Tatooine with Owen, and she begins to hunt for Luke after remembering that, hey, there was a farmer named Owen. Anyway, I'm just... One thing that frustrates me is the fact that the writers are giving Reva, like, Sherlock Holmes-style deduction. After we're seeing her being impulsive and not strategic at all. She's rash. And her being able to put together that Luke is Lord Vader's kid? It's kind of really not believable. And it's like, oh my god, she figured it how? She's not smart. She basically decided to face Vader after being the weakest Inquisitor. And hell, even facing off against Owen and uh, Berdu, 
She couldn't do it. Oh my God. I gotta say, I'll give Luke's aunt and uncle credit when credit is due. Wow, did they put up a fight. Oh my God, I was impressed. But I was also kind of sad because they were caught off guard when the stormtroopers came and started asking about the about the Death Star plans. And remember, they were burned alive. So it kind of puts n- new meaning to their death. But anyway, one thing that kind of takes me off is Reva was able to get to Luke. Run after Luke, despite being stabbed in the stomach and acts like barely it's barely hurting her. Even after so many people started pressing the wound. And it's just a cliche story about her not killing Luke, deciding not to be Anakin, and her deciding where to go off. I mean, honestly, they should have just killed the character, because she definitely the weakest story of the entire episode. And if she gets to come back, I really hope her character improves, because otherwise, I really don't want to see her again at all. And I don't know where I can see her at all. Like, I don't know if she's going to try to show up in the Mandalorian series or anything like that. Because I don't see what she'll be able to bring to the table. She's by far the weakest Force user so in the entire galaxy right now. Compared to Luke, compared to Cal Kestis, heck, even compared to Ahsoka, I don't see her bringing anything to the table. Anyway, one thing at the end, Obi-Wan was finally able to say hello there. To Luke and the a- the ending was one of the greatest cameos of all time from Liam Neeson. Oh my god, it was great to see him as Qui-Gon Jinn at the end. And just seeing them together and seeing Obi-Wan happy definitely was the icing on the cake. I also loved seeing Palpatine again for a short moment. And honestly, with... The same guy playing Palpatine, if you look, it's been the same dude since Return of the Jedi playing Palpatine. And this dude, even after 40 freaking years, still has it. He definitely still has it. And it's funny because he would be around the same age as Palpatine would be during uh, the Empire. Anyway, I definitely hope this kind of sets up more shows set during the Empire, especially for a Vader-based show. Oh my god, would I love to see a Vader-based show. It would be fantastic. Anyway, I definitely give this series a 9 out of 10. Sure, did it have some weak episodes or one particular? Sure. But overall, definitely, definitely great. Anyway, the next we're going to be talking about The Boys, Episode 5. And this episode was truly an 8 out of 10. From the acting, the twists and turns, Homelander going downhill... Maeve hooking up with Butcher, it's just amazingly written. And Huey and Butcher partnering up and separating themselves from the team to team up with Soldier Boy to kill Homelander was kind of wow. Especially after they helped him kill the Countess. Now, given that Soldier Boy was probably going to kill her anyway, but the fact that they helped was kind of just mind-blowing. And honestly, it made me really, really hate the Deep even further, who's an idiot. And episode 6 confirms that even more. Oh my god, was episode 6 another amazing episode. Now, it wasn't as bad as it was hyped up to be, but the fight between Homelander, Butcher, and Huey, 
and even Soldier Boy. Wow, was that fight intense. I was screaming at my screen while the fight was going on saying, kill him, finally kill him. And I even got mad when Homelander escaped. I'm like, why? Oh, was it a great episode. And this fight, having his first ever defeat in combat is going to push him over the edge. And throughout episode six, I got to say, I really felt bad for M.M., Because getting slimed twice, especially that second time, ah, that that man needs to burn his clothes. Needs to burn everything. Needs a salt bath with some sandpaper because I would not feel happy after getting slimed. Anyway, I liked him and Starlight working together. And her revealing at the end about what's happening and how Vought is lying to them is going to make episode 7 crazy. And I gotta give A-Train some credit. He actually apologized and meant it after realizing what it felt like to be on the other end of these antics. Especially after his brother became paralyzed. Sure, is he still an ass? Yes. Yes, he is. is. Does this mean he's redeemed fully? No, far from it. But it does give us some brownie points. And him realizing that he's been wrong, I argue... I honestly hope he's not dead after killing Blue Hawk. Because it would make some interesting dynamic where, hey, he's now with Starlight. He's now with them. But, or he could just turn around and just still be with Homelander. Now, for episode 7, I'm very curious to see where Noor is and why he left. And what his plans are. Because it's revealed that Noor was the reason why Soldier Boy ended up in Russia custody. Russian custody. So where episode 7 leaves, I can't wait. I'll be overseas watching it, and I'll give you guys my two cents. Anyway, moving on, we're going to be talking about Miss Marvel, and I gotta say, I'm going to have to rewatch episode 2. Since Miss Marvel seems to be kind of forgettable. I mean, sure, it's an okay series. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's kind of, with everything else that was going on, I honestly hoped that they kind of pushed it back because it's definitely overshadowed by Obi-Wan, definitely overshadowed by the boys. And I'm really hoping that it gets better and more fast paced. I will say that Kamala during episode two did remind me of my sister with how dramatic she was when it came to the whole singing scene. When uh, she ends up going out with that guy, I gotta say, I kept thinking to myself, wow, this reminds me of my sister. This is something she would do and just be in her own little world being the drama queen that she is. Watch, I'm going to get heat for saying, calling her a drama queen. Anyway, I'll give the episode a 6 out of 10. Hopefully, episode 3 and 4 are definitely better. Anyway, that's it for TV shows and moving on to movies. And yay, Sony is once again going to ruin another Spider-Man character with the upcoming Kraven the Hunter movie. Can they not ruin characters? Is that a possibility? I mean, they have everything set up for Kraven to come in as the villain. But no, they have to give him his own movie and change Kraven from an animal hunter to an animal rights protester. Why? Why? I don't know what Sony is smoking, but I would actually like some to see what they're seeing. Because honestly, Craven the Hunter would make an excellent villain. 
for maybe a Morbius sequel, which we know is coming. We obviously know that Morbius is coming since they're trying to set up something. Or even the next Venom movie. These are two apex predators. And Craven the Hunter thrives on hunting them. Why not have him show up as the villain? That would be an amazing movie. That would make sense. But of course, no, Sony has to do with this entire thing with ruining another movie. It kind of gets frustrating because you're like, Sony, you have the material here to make a great movie. Why? Why? (sighs) This is just depressing. Very depressing at this point. Anyway, with the writing skills that Sony has, especially for these Spider-Man spinoffs, I am not excited about this. I have no faith in this project at all. And I guarantee it's going to be another laughing stock like Morbius is. Heck, it's only remembered for being a meme at this point. It's Morbin time. It's time to Morbin. I don't know. Honestly, honestly, the fans will be fans, so we'll see how it goes. Anyway, moving on, I'm going to be talking about a new trailer that I saw called Barbarian. It's a horror movie trailer, and I got to praise it for actually being a good trailer. It sets up some stuff while revealing absolutely nothing about the plot. And I like that. A lot of horror movies these days reveal everything. And it's terrible. You're like, why am I going to watch this? They just revealed what's going on. But anyway, the trailer was awesome and it's on my list for horror movies to watch. Especially since the producers are the same ones from It and The Grudge. Would be and would make for an excellent movie. Speaking of horror movies, another horror movie coming out from the trailer I saw is called Smile. And it looks like your generic demon after you, blah, blah, blah. And the trailer, for the most part, was meh. But I gotta say, the parts where it wasn't meh was very creative. And, of course, the trailer kind of revealed too much, but I gotta give credit when the credit is due. The jump scares in these trailers were very creative. I actually almost dropped my phone because I got scared. Now, I would definitely... I'm not going to reveal where these jump scares are. Watch the trailer and see for yourself. The movie's called Smile, and if they have more creative stuff like this, I might actually give them a try. Why not? Anyway, going back to Sony, and this is for a positive note. Don't worry, it's not all negative. They're coming up with a new movie called Lyo Lyo Crocodile. And it seems to be Sony's answer to the movie Paddington. Now, the trailer is cute, and it definitely seems like some positive fun, and I remember reading the books when I was younger, and Lyle Lyle is going to be voiced by Shawn Mendes, and he's going to come out with an original song, which he sings in the trailer, and I actually can't wait to see, to give this movie a try. It definitely seems like something you can watch with the family, and something for also maybe a cheesy date. Who knows? It's definitely something on my list, and I can't wait to watch it. And lastly for movies, we have a new Lego Star Wars movie called Summer Vacation. And it looks like it's going to be a fun movie for kids. And honestly, if you haven't checked out some of the Lego Star Wars movies uh, set in the Star Wars universe, they actually have a lot of charm. And since they are Legos, they get away with a lot of stuff. I mean, just funny stuff. Like, I watched the one with the Phantom Menace version and... It was funny. Some of the clips, like, you don't even have to watch the whole movie. Just watch some of the clips, and they just have fun with it. It's kind of like abridged, where you're like, okay, it's a Lego movie, so we can have some fun with it. 
and why not. I haven't really given most of them a try, but if you haven't watched them at all, definitely give them a try, especially when you're bored. It's good for a couple of laughs. And honestly, this one seems to be a lot of fun too. Anyway, that's it for movies. Now to move on to video games. Now, first of all, there is a new Sonic game. Well, I mean, not new. It's called Sonic Origins. And it's a game where you get to play the original Sonic games 1, 2, 3, and CD. Remastered for the millionth time. I mean, good lord. How many times are they going to remaster these games? This isn't the first remastered. But honestly, this one is kind of fun. I mean, I haven't really bought any of the other remasters. So playing this one for the first time and playing the OG Sonic games is kind of cool. I know there's some controversy between them because some people are not able to do some of the stuff they were in the old games. But honestly, this is more of a fresh uh, breath air for people who haven't played the original games. And they do have time travel, time travel, time trials. And one thing that's really great is the widescreen. The widescreen is a blessing. And if you haven't played the original games like I haven't, definitely give it a chance. It's definitely something to experience and to see why Sonic is one of the most well-known video game characters. Even if most of his games since then have sucked badly. Anyway, moving on, we're going to be talking about Overwatch 2. Now, it's going to be very interesting to see how everyone takes the news, if you haven't been paying attention, but Overwatch 2 has announced that it will be taking over and be the only Overwatch game, replacing the first one entirely. Now, this does make sense, since they don't really or haven't made any huge changes really to Overwatch 2. It's just Overwatch 1 with maybe some gameplay changes here and there, adding single player mode, and that's about it. There's not really much to justify the sequel, but since it's going to be replacing the first one altogether and it's free to play, I can see why this would be the smart move. The good part about this is that skins will carry over from the first game and currency. So people shouldn't be too upset because they'll still be able to use their skins, use whatever money they'll have. And I will say this, it does kind of suck since a lot of people do love the first game and would have loved to play it independently. But with it being free to play and Blizzard only having so many devs to work on it and with all the controversy that has been surrounding them not being able to update with new stuff, new events, it makes sense for them just to stick with the one game because splitting it off to two games, disappointing fans of the first one while monetizing the games of the, the players of the second game, it makes sense. And overall, it should be interesting to see how this all plays out. And again, it's free, so you're not spending any money. Probably only spend it on loot boxes for skins and all that stuff. Anyway, moving on, Fortnite is finally getting Darth Vader. And I'm excited for that, especially after the Obi-Wan series. I will probably get Darth Vader in honor of the series for Fortnite. Yes, will it cost me money? Sure, but it's Darth Vader. I already have Obi-Wan, so I now will complete the set. And they'll probably come out with other stuff that where I'm going to be like, oh my god, I need to buy it. Anyway, moving on, 
We're next going to be talking about The Quarry. Now, I know I have talked about it, but I've actually played the game now. And I am so enjoying the game. These types of games are definitely better to be played with other people. And what I mean by that is other people in the room helping you make decisions. The excitement and thrill of having other people participate definitely what makes these games fun. Because when it comes to uh, these games, I usually play them with my mom. And I know what people will say, oh my god, you play these games with your mom? And yeah, honestly, I do. And it's kind of fun. Because she's the one making the decisions. And I'm just along for the ride, being able to play. And it's kind of fun. Heck, she'll scream at me for letting her decide to kill somebody or doing something that ends up killing somebody. And I'm there like, well, you're the person who's making the decisions. I'm just enjoying this. And just seeing the reaction, it's it's very fun. And I recommend anybody who has a girlfriend or who has family members or friends and they like watching horror movies or shows like these where it's a mystery, definitely pick up the game and play with them. Make it like a Friday night, or like every Friday night or every Saturday night. They come over and you guys do this. Because it's definitely a different experience. Now, if I was playing by myself, I honestly wouldn't be enjoying this game as much as I am. And while playing the game, it's very interesting because if you played games from this studio who did Until Dawn or Man of Medan, uh, the Dark Anthology series, a lot of times they'll have totems or a picture telling you the future so you can avoid certain obstacles. Now, in this one, it's different. It's tarot cards. And it's frustrating, especially to me, when I miss one. Or even miss evidence or story items to give you hints of what happened. It's very frustrating because I'm there like... Looking everywhere, uh, exploring this area, exploring this area, and I don't get it. And I'm there like, why didn't I get it? And it's definitely frustrating because I'm there like, I I did stuff. I I did it. See, I, I explored. There's nothing left to explore. And there's still that whole question mark. Anyway, I definitely like the fact that it does definitely gives you a little more hints and that some decisions will make or break the game. Because... Honestly, I'll say this for those who haven't played it yet. Play the first level when you're playing the intro. Explore. Trust me, explore. I didn't and I regretted it. And everything else is pretty much crucial, especially with everything interconnecting. It's so much fun. I made a few decisions that have helped me so far. My mom has made a few decisions where I'm looking at the sky asking why. But again, I'm just the passenger playing along. Anyway, one of the things that's super hard is keeping these characters alive because they're dumb. They're dumb. I'm like, have you not seen a horror movie? Do not go there by yourself. Do not. And I'm having to uh, help them escape. Anyway, it's definitely a fun story so far. And I'll keep you guys updated on how well I did, who lived, who died, and how this game actually is so I can properly review it. Anyway, that's it for video games, and let's go ahead and move on to current events. First, Marvel is rejoining the San Diego Comic-Con after a bit of a hiatus with COVID and everything. And I actually can't wait to see what's revealed during their showcase, because usually they'll be able to reveal 
com- new comic book runs, stuff in the MCU, and with Kevin Feige saying that, hey, the next phase, we're moving away from phase four, moving on to phase five, and we're going to see where this saga is going to take us, who the next big bad is. And I can't wait to see it. I honestly can't. It's going to be fun. So if you're looking for some fun news, that's definitely something to look forward to. Now, I know I say this is current events and there has been other stuff in the news, but I'm not going to mention it for the sole purpose of this not being a political podcast. So I'm not going to be mentioning any of the news that it was stated before because this is all about nerd media and other news as well. So again, I want this podcast to be Switzerland. I want it to be neutral where people can come here to escape. And that's all I'm going to say upon that. But anyway, thank you guys for listening to the podcast. And again, this will be my last episode for about two weeks since I'm going to be going overseas, going on a cruise, going to be on a balcony suite. Oh, I'm excited. The food, the views, everything. Oh, I'll keep you guys not well, not updated. I won't have my stuff, but I'll give you guys a tidbit of what happened and how much fun I had. Well, that's about it for this episode. So goodbye, have fun, and I'll see you in about three weeks, guys. Thank you for listening to this show. It's been fantastic doing it so far, and I can't wait to come back to give you all the nerd stuff I have missed and you have probably missed too. All right, take care and have a blessed day.